You're tuned into The K Mag Podcast. Online source for horror, thriller, and sci fi entertainment news. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com. This is a special interview edition of DK Mag News Podcast. We'll be featuring several interviews that we have conducted over the past few weeks, and they include、uh, directors, actors, and Miss Asia and Miss Korea, former Miss Korea. She's now venturing into the acting field. But、uh, joining me on this podcast are my co hosts. Enid Artus, content contributor at dkmag.com. Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for dkmag.com. Thank you once again, listeners, for joining us in another edition of our podcast. And be sure to stop by dkmag、uh, website, that is d e c a y m a g.com, where we feature articles and reviews every day. Uh, we strive to provide you with the latest news, indie, from mainstream video games, you name it. We try to cover it. And this podcast is a supplement of our website. And everything is a dedication and hard work for all of us、uh, to all of you, horror enthusiasts worldwide. Exclusive interview Sheldon Wilson. Director, writer, for The Unspoken. On the 21st of October, I had the pleasure of interviewing director and producer Sheldon Wilson. Wilson is a notable figure in the indie horror genre. Some of his notable work is the 2004 Shallow Ground 2013, Scarecrow 20, 2009. Screamers, The Hunt King 2015, The Hollow. His latest release is the Supernatural Trilogy, The Unspoken. In our interview, we spoke about his upcoming film. We delve into his opinion as females and horror and children in horror films. How are you, Mr. Wilson? I'm great. Yourself? I'm doing good. Trying to keep warm with this New York City cold weather. Right. <laughs>、um, my first question is Your filmography is rich with horror and thrillers. Can you summarize your history in the genre leading up to the latest release, The Unspoken? I did, I did a horror movie quite a few years ago now called、uh, Shallow Ground, which is a very, very independent film that we did for.、Uh, About $75,000. And,、uh, you know, really from there, as, as so, so often happens, you know, you get known for、uh, sort of your earliest project that、uh, has any form of success. So that firmly put my feet、uh, in the horror genre. And,、uh, you know, I've just I've had a lot of fun over the years sort of exploring this genre. And,、uh, you know, these, these movies are, are, are a lot of fun to make and they're even more fun. To, to share with an audience. That is very good.、Um, one of the central figures in the outspoken is Adrian. 
portrayed Sony Sojik. Can you share some thoughts on working with children for strong materials such as horror films? You know, it's it's definitely a real real challenge, and you need to be very aware of that. You know that uh, a lot of times, you know, some of these kids when they show up on set, they're you know they're so mature and you know they interact with you like an adult, but you can't lose sight of the fact that that they're a child, and you need to protect them to, to some degree. So you need to be very very careful about what else is going on around set, what else you're shooting that day, um, what else is going on in that scene, and uh, you know, because at, at the end of the day, they, they are a child, and I have, I have two kids of my own, and I certainly want, wouldn't want to expose them to anything during the movie-making process that I wouldn't allow my kids to see on the screen or, or TV. So it's definitely something you need to be incredibly aware of going in. And uh, it's also something that, that you know, you, you, you talk about at length with, with not only the actor, but also their parents. You know, and making sure everyone's aware of what we're doing, how we're going about it. I agree with you on that. Um, can you sum up um, Sojik's reaction to the role he had to portray in the film? You know, he he was incredibly excited. I think he was a little, uh, you know, I, I think he was a little bummed out when when he first got the script and realized he didn't have any dialogue. Uh, but once I talked him through it, and he really realized that. You know, he was he was the you know one of the stars of the movie. I mean, if you know, it it really really rested on on his performance. You know, uh, a great performance helps the movie incredibly. A bad performance, you know, and and we're just lost. You know, because so much of the film hinges on his character, and 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 that was a big thing for us. We we shot the film in Vancouver, and. Uh, you know, started um, well to to probably the two months before we started filming, started looking to cast that wall because we knew it was going to be tough. And you know, there's some incredibly talented child actors in Vancouver. You know, but also they're busy doing other things. Uh, so finding someone who was available uh, for our schedule that was great for roles really really tough so we i mean we looked in vancouver we looked in toronto and we ended up having to you know come back to la had a huge casting session in la and we knew as soon as sonny walked in the room you know we were like yeah that's that's our adrian you know there was just there was a calmness about him and he was able to communicate wow sounds like you guys went through some stuff there um, kids have been mm -hmm. a major element in horror for quite some time. In your opinion, what is about children in horror that makes them so creepy? Well, I think it's it's unsettling to, to, to think of a child uh, in in that way. I mean, we you know we we want to think of our children as you know as as, as children as innocents, uh, and as soon as you start seeing them otherwise, it's incredibly unsettling. And, you know, they're so, they're so open emotionally as well, I think, you know, especially with Sonny, he was able to communicate so much of that vulnerability, that innocence uh, early on in the film that without saying anything, you know, it's really felt for him. It's very good to see how kids are so smart nowadays at a, such a young age. Absolutely. Now, with so many haunted house films, 
how did you modernize the concept for the film and what made it different entity? Well, you know, I, I, I grew up, you know, during the 70s watching, you know, I grew up on films, you know, like The Exorcist and uh, Annie the Horror and Carrie, The Shining. I mean, you know, Halloween and those, those films had a very special place in my heart. So I wanted to do a film that, you know, felt like those films, that was a celebration of those films, but also, you know, had a twist where hopefully by the end you think, wow, if if this is the case, you know, does it give us a different lens to look back on those other films I love so much? You know, so that, that was really my goal was to celebrate those films and then have a little fun with it and hopefully, you know, hopefully get people to rewatch those films with different eyes. Cool. Um, the Unspoken gives a different approach to supernatural phenomenon. Is this a personal reflection or inexplainable things having logical explanation? Well, I, I think I, I don't want to give you know, too much away. Um, for me, the film we we explore the film very much through Jodell's character, you know, through Angela. You know, we learn things as she learns things. We experience things as she experiences things. And hopefully the audience is experiencing them through, through Jodell. You know, so very, very much the entire film is structured that way. So you only really know what she knows for the most part. And I think that helps, helps with the terror of it. And it helps, uh, it's, it's incredibly unsettling to be in this horrific situation and not know necessarily exactly what is at play the unspoken rips the viewer from the opening scene and really doesn't let go to the ending credits can you share some insight on the creative team that made all these scenes possible well you know and, and an incredible team they, they really were i mean we shot this movie in 14 days which is it's, it's a massive movie to, to try and do in 14 days. And, you know, luckily I had a team of people that uh, were incredibly enthusiastic and supportive, saw the vision and really bent over backwards that, you know, helped make that happen. You know, it's, I wanted to do again, sort of uh, an homage to the film of the seventies. And so I wanted to do everything practically. So with the exception of some wire removal and a few other small little things, you know, with everything that you see in the film is was physically done, which required a lot of rigging, a lot of stunt work, uh, you know, and really the the crew across the board just went so so above and beyond to help get all of that on the Oh wow, that was a pretty short time in recording the film. Fourteen days. Oh oh yeah. Uh, that is very good. I took mm -hmm. my wits from beginning to end. It was pretty well, thank good. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I had a, I had a lot of fun making it. <laughs> you guys did a great thank job. <laughs> Thanks. I loved it. I loved it. Just the mystery thank and you. just the acting, the little boy, everything, everything. Now, The Unspoken features a strong female lead portrayed by Jodell Furland. Can you share how Ms. Fairland got involved in this project? Well, she was, I mean, she was always our, our, our first choice. 
you know, and uh, you, you never know. It comes down to not only if, you know, someone wants to do the project or not, but are, are they available? I mean, so, you know, so many of your top actors today are, are busy. You know, they're scheduled out for the next two years. So we were incredibly fortunate that, you know, we were able to get the very person who I'd always envisioned for the role. You know, she read the script, uh, loved it, you know, jumped on board right away. And uh, I think it's the earliest, you know, I've, I've ever had a, a lead in a movie, which was fantastic because, you know, again, the the actors really, you envision the character and you write the character. But once you cast that character, you kind of, you know, you sort of give up the creative control to some extent of who that character is because they then they embody it and, and it becomes something new yet again. And Joe Dell did so much with that character, as as did the rest of the cast. I was so fortunate, you know, with the rest of the cast that, you know, they they each brought their individual take to it, and and I, I think really elevated the material. What is your opinion on strong female lead horror films? You know, I I don't know if, if, if you look through, and I don't know why that is, but if you, if you look through um, a, a lot of my films, I just I love working with strong female cast, you know, strong, uh, you know, and it's, I've never really thought about why it is, uh, you know, it, it just is, it, it, it's, it's something I would have to give more thought to, I guess, but, uh, you know, I, I don't really see any difference between a male lead or a female lead or, uh, you know, I find sometimes, and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to get hit for this, but uh, you know, a, a lot of guys that, that that you work with, they're very concerned about sort of staying leading man, or uh, you know, being alpha male, or and, and not to say again, not painting with too broad a brush, but I don't find that when, when you're working with with actresses, they're they're less concerned with their overall image and more willing just to just to jump into the character. Uh, maybe that's why I love working them so much. Yeah, and also the revenge part. The movies on the female characters, I love that part on the movies. Right. Well, I, I won't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Unspoken is a horror film, but has other elements involved with the theme such as mystery. How important was it to create different levels for the unspoken? Well, for me, I, I mean, I I love mysteries. I I love a film that keeps you guessing, that challenges you to to figure it out as you go. Uh, you know, and that's you know, for me, that was a, that was a big part of the unspoken and a big part of you know Angela's journey through the film is is stepping through this mystery where you don't know what's around the corner. It's, it's, with horror, it's, I mean, it's, it's one thing to be horrified by, you know, the shock of it all, or but I think part of it too is is keeping your audience a little bit off balance, you know, keeping them guessing, keeping them figuring it out as, as the character does. And, you know, I, I go right back to Hitchcock and some of his, you know, fantastic films. I mean, they kept you, they kept you guessing. And for me, that, that's a big part of the movies that I love. It was a big part of The Shining. Cool. Um, 
I'm done with all my questions. Is there anything else you would like to share in terms of your future projects? Well, it, it just so happens that um, The Unspoken comes out in theaters on Friday. And on Saturday, I have another horror movie uh, called The Night Before Halloween, starring Bailey Madison, that premieres on Sci-Fi on Saturday night. Uh, you know, so please, everyone go to the theaters on Friday and then on Saturday night, you know, uh, sit behind your TVs and, and check out the, uh, the night before Halloween. That this Saturday at Sci-Fi. This Saturday on Sci-Fi, yes. This film, it was a very intriguing film. It was a supernatural thriller, but it was completely different from typical haunted house films. It had a very, I would say, uh, uh, that was a great twist at the end. And for horror enthusiasts who love a film with a twist, this is a film to see, The Unspoken. It's currently available on video on demand. And it features a strong female lead and it also features a, a very talented child actor. And as we all know, children in horror films, they are a key. We could go way back 20, 30 years and children are the creepy center of attention when it comes to horror so we have a very interesting actor uh excuse me very interesting portrayal of a character by a child actor um yes the movie was very intriguing um it had its twists and turns um the kid did an amazing job um in terms of making it scary i believe all in all i really did enjoy the movie and just like ken said the twist at the end will definitely get your going exclusive interview joseph davis brian jerson on the 9th of november 2016 i had the pleasure to interview two very talented indie directors they are brian gerson and joseph r davis collectively they are the production company over the past couple of years they have released some short films beginning with tender the second film is it's lurking a supernatural themed uh, short horror film and their latest film, Puppet, delves into uh, infection theme. Infection, I use the word to describe uh, like zombies. Uh, we're talking the 28 days, 28 weeks later theme, not the slow, sloping, walking zombie theme. I had a moment to speak with them. You know, we they discussed their film practical effects which is very heavy in their latest release puppet it's lurking their business and what is in the future for the gerson and davis team once again these guys have uh, have released these films in a shoestring budget i advise everybody to go visit their website procoproductioncompany.com and right there you can see you have access to tender it's lurking and puppet all the videos are free and they are on youtube streaming service but you visit their sites you can get more insight of the production company 
and their films and they also have some trailers and samples there as well and who is joining me in this uh conference brian gerson and joseph r davis oh welcome gentlemen and thank you for uh, your time and uh, conducting this interview well, good morning and thanks for having us i hope you guys like the review it was a very great movie thank, thank you. you yeah thank we you. really liked uh, the review thanks yeah, we always feel like you guys are kind of on on uh, like honest you're you're direct honest and uh, i feel like all the ratings that we've got from you guys are fair Thank you. Yes, I try to be uh, fair, and it, it helps out because, as a filmmaker, you want to hear all sides of the uh, spectrum. Having having a bit of uh, uh, positive feedback, a bit of negative feedback, it 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 helps us grow too because we see like, yeah, okay, we could have used a little bit more special effects, we could have used more blood here. Totally see what they're saying about the script. Can't know how to grow if you don't know what you do right and what you do wrong. Right. Okay, I'm going to uh, open up with my first question. And please, uh, since it's two uh, people, uh, just state your first name before you answer the question. So that way, audio-wise, people know who's responding. Got it. Okay. And the first question is, each film tricks on a different horror concept. Can you best sum the pre-production phase of a film project? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, well, this is Joseph, and uh, I would say most of our pre-production process is just kind of like uh, uh, brainstorming what it is we can do with uh, what we have, like uh, you know the locations that we're, we're able to get, uh, whatever whatever it is. We, we start with what we the puzzle pieces, what we want to do, what yeah. resources that we have. Uh, and and we're able to utilize it, and then we slowly piece it together. And for each project that you guys undertake, um, how is the budget? Uh, is it low budget, uh, zero budget, uh, something uh, that everybody contributes out of pocket? Um. Well, sorry. Uh, this, this is Brian. Uh, it is the extremely low budget. Uh, we have. Uh, some friends and family that uh, help us out, but uh, mostly it's it's very limited. Uh, for Puppet, we had a budget of $2,500. Uh, this is Joseph again. I think uh, on <clears throat> Tender, it was uh, just a couple hundred dollars to feed the cast. Uh, everybody else uh, basically donated their, their uh, time and ability, um, and uh, it, it's lurking. Clearly, that was basically just Brian and I through most of the shoot uh, with uh, uh, Chance Cooley as an AD and uh, a couple other actors that came in for one day. But out of that like 10 day shoot, it was uh, one day with people and the rest of it basically just us. And uh, my next question, there are always lessons learned from each project. For puppets, what were some of the technical frontiers that you guys explored? But uh, overall, we, we learned to work with a, a new cameraman, and uh, he did amazing work and uh, directed a lot of the uh, best shots in Puppet. And uh, this is Brian, but uh, not so much technically, but this was a SAG project, and it's our first time working with SAG and SAG actors. So we learned a lot on how the, uh, the process is 
uh, paperwork wise and um, working with that uh, with with the union. You know, because you have to have insurance, you have to have uh, uh, workers' comp insurance, you have to have liability insurance, um, and then you have all the the SAG contracts themselves. So luckily, we were able to bring uh, Leah Savoli, Leanne Savoli, on as a producer, and uh, she helped us navigate through all of that, uh, all the paperwork. All the paperwork. Oh wow, that's that sounds like some crazy administrative work right there. Oh yeah, for sure. It seemed like uh, every other week it was like, oh no, I don't think we're going to be able to do this anymore. <laughs> every other day, not every other week. <laughs> Uh, but uh, in the end, Leah got it all handled, and we got the project done. Great, yeah, and it was a very fine project, ma'am. May add. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Um, the newly released horror short puppets delves into an outbreak. Uh, for clarifications, what are audience presented with? The classic zombie or the modern infection theme? Thanks, Brian. I'd say it's more infection than uh, classic zombie because they're not. It's not so much the dead being risen again. I mean, they do technically die through this infection, but it's more of a parasite than um, other conventional zombie means. Yeah, I, I think one of the inspirations uh, Jeff spoke about was uh, the the fungus that takes over the ants and controls the ants' bodies, kind of thing. Um, that was kind of like uh, the idea of, of the script, I think. Right, right. Yeah, because I asked because there's such a divide in the horror community between classic zombies and infection. And infection uh, really took off with the uh, 28 Days Later. Right, right. Puppet also delves into organized religious as a commentary. What was the message offered throughout the first two acts of the film? I think it was it was meant as a divide between uh, uh, Tara's character Emery and the rest of the group. It, it was it was meant to to make her stand apart from them, and we we were trying to find uh, multiple ways to do that. And and one of the other ways was we we were trying to mute the clothing of all the other actors. Uh, and, and have Tara uh, wearing like bright colors, so it was always, it was used it was meant to to separate her from the group. And jumping back to the film It's Lurking, which you guys delved into special effects uh, with the creatures concepts. Um, was there any difference between uh, filming It's Lurking and filming puppets? because now you guys are using practical effects. We started off with the uh, the effects being practical and it's lurking uh, and only went to uh, uh, digital effects after we couldn't get enough people and enough of these lights to work properly. Like uh, we, we built the, the lights ourselves. So they were LEDs that were placed behind marbles with a little bit of wax paper. And we had hooked up this uh, button to them so that when you'd press the button, the lights would come on. But uh, uh, since we we literally built these things, and we're not we're not electricians or anything, yeah. uh, I, I I think our soldering may have been off or whatever. 
but the lights we had made, we, we couldn't get them all to work and we couldn't get enough people to hold them. So in the end, we, we opted to go uh, digital because of that. So we, we would have loved to do practical effects on uh, It's Lurking as well. I think practical just has a, uh, it, it has an authenticity. It can't be achieved through digital effects. Yeah, that, that leads to my next question. Um, what is your guys' opinion on practical effects versus digital effects? Uh, this is Brian. Uh, I think both have their place and because uh, you can't always do everything in practical and sometimes digital doesn't feel right. It doesn't have that, uh, that warmth or authentici authenticity, authenticity right? uh, that uh, practical has. Um, for both of your latest films, Puppets and It's Lurking, the ending is abrupt. Are there any sequels or possibly a series uh, to consider in the near future? Um, we've, we've kind of toyed with the idea of doing, uh, doing either a, a secondary It's Lurking or a, a feature-length version. Um, it's really hard to say. Uh, we both really liked that film and had fun shooting it, but uh, Brian doesn't want to be in front of the camera again. So we have to find uh, more actors. Yeah, I am uh, definitely, uh, I prefer being behind the camera than in front of the camera. And it's funny you mention it because uh, given your your background as a photographer, that's usually the case. A photographer usually likes to stay behind the camera instead of in front of it. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think yeah. we both suffer from that. <laughs> yeah, neither of us like being on camera as much as we like being behind camera. Like if there was a camera in this interview right now, we'd both be uh, ridiculously awkward. A little bit. <laughs> uh, same here. Um, you see, I, I delve into photography as well, so I know the sentiment. I prefer to be behind a camera than in front of it. I'm not photogenic. <laughs> Let, let the pretty people be in front of the camera. <laughs> precisely, precisely. <laughs> um, can you share some insight on the creative team and creative talent that made all the effects possible for your latest release, uh, Puppets? Uh, sure, this is, this is Joseph. Um, uh, Haley was, a, uh, was, was the lead uh, effects supervisor. So uh, everything that, that you see effects-wise um, outside, I think the only thing that we did was the, the little worm in the temple thing, but everything else was uh, Haley and uh, Desi De La Luna. And uh, Haley had these uh, ideas. Uh, her and Jeff are actually a couple, so the writer and the effects artist are a couple. So they had planned this kind of in the script and, and talked about it before we even came on board with uh, uh, for the project. Um, so yeah, they, they already had the concept in mind and how they wanted to do it. And then Haley came in, she uh, started to execute it. Uh, uh, Desi came in and did a lot of those effects as well. Um, but yeah, uh, super proud of those girls. They they really killed it. It was and an all-female um, team? Uh, our effects team, Alex was uh, our makeup artist. Um, and uh, he he basically did like uh, uh, light makeup and hair uh, for the actors and actresses, but, uh, really all the blood, goo, gore, and, and, uh, bruising and everything. And that was all, that was, that all was all Haley and Desi. Desi. Amazing, amazing work. See, I'm, 
I'm a, I'm a big aficionado for when it comes to practical effects. I love it. I prefer that over digital effects any day. Yeah, yeah. And and we had seen a lot of Haley's work, and uh, it was pretty gross. She was the, the one for us. And especially since uh, we've always scored so low in the gore and blood on, on uh, your game. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were like, yeah, we're going to get this time. <laughs> oh, wow. A little bit of background for uh, the company. How did you guys uh, collaborate together and um, why the big decision to continue to make horror films as opposed to any other genre? It started off in comedy and it just kind of slowly seeped into the rest of, uh, of what we were doing. So we, we kind of started, we, we like to put laugh terror. The idea was we would do uh, like versus uh, or a Dale and Tucker versus style or comedy and uh, we've been doing comedy videos for probably the last three and a half years uh, but it was really when we made tender that the horror community started paying attention to us and they, they they're so kind and they're so welcoming uh, I, I felt like uh, I felt like this is where we're, we're we're home you know these are our these are our people. There's so much love in the horror community that uh, like I don't want to leave it's very welcoming and and uh, a very great place to be yes it is it's a very and it also allows room for creativity to be explored as opposed to any other uh, genre. I agree. I agree. I, I think that uh, what people don't see in, in horror is uh, there, there is drama, there is comedy. There are, there are many, many subgenres of, of horror in itself. And I don't think you see that in other films other than maybe like sci-fi, the sci-fi genre. Which blends into our uh, a lot itself, right? Right, and I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, my next question, even since you guys have all covered uh, concepts in horror, would they be an exploration into science fiction? I can't see why not. At some point, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that uh, we're kind of open to really anything. Um, uh, it, it's just a matter of uh, horror at this moment. Uh, the community has has just been so welcoming that uh, we we love it. We love the people. We love uh, we love the movies. Uh, we we love all of it. It's fun, you know, a bunch of people that just want to make a mess and be gross. Exactly, that's the fun part. It's like big big kids and Toys R Us. Totally. <laughs> uh, in a candy store, even. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and a little bit about the future. I know we discussed uh, science fiction is uh, is in is in consideration, and so is a series. Um, what other projects uh, should we see from the creative duo? Uh, well, we're currently editing the Friday the Thirteenth Memorial Doc about uh, Richard Brooker, the the man to first on the hockey mask, um, that's uh, produced by uh, Sean Richards and uh, directed by Kevin R. Phipps. So that's that's next up on the list. A writer for Puppet is penned by one of the actors. How was that idea pitched? Um, well, really, it was uh, it was Jeff. He, he sat down with us, and we were going through the script. Like I said, uh, our first thing is to gather our resources and see what we can do. So um, we looked around for actors 
to that we knew to, to fill the parts. And uh, Jeff was like, well, you know, I always kind of saw myself in this role. And uh, and so we then said, well, then do you want the role? And he's like, well, I haven't acted in, in uh, many years, but, you know, I'm not not willing. And so he uh, he dusted off his acting chops and he brought it on Puppet. And now he's got the acting bug again and uh, wouldn't mind uh, acting more. Yeah, most definitely. That was a very good portrayal, by the way. That was very believable. Yeah, yeah, we thought he was great. Like, uh, he really, he really nailed that. And I think uh, when when he first started that prayer scene, when we were, because uh, that's that's the whole take of Jeff. So of uh, Jeff just walking there back and forth, all of that is one take. And uh, Jason uh, Pergrero, the the director of photography, was was on this kind of low angle following him back and forth the whole time. We just knew at that moment, like Jeff had it and, and we were really excited to get to the uh, aggressive, aggressive, like scariness. So that entire scene in act three, that was all in one shot? Just, just the ones of, uh, of, no, yeah. no, the, uh, the Jeff, the shot of Jeff, uh, when he's, uh, delivering the sermon in the backyard over the bonfire, that was all one shot, one take. And uh, was this the first time uh, someone else takes helm of the screenwriting? Because I believe uh, It's Lurking and Tender were written by the two of you, correct? Uh, Tender was actually written by Steven Rogers. So uh, okay. It's Lurking is the only one that's actually written. Okay. Right. Right. Let's see. I'm writing down my questions. And... Uh, this is a, a good platform, a good moment. So for you guys to plug your new uh, horror short puppets and anything else you care to add uh, about your projects and uh, your company. So the platform is open. I, I think uh, right now you can find Puppet on uh, ProCoProductionCompany.com under our projects page. You can also find It's Lurking and Tender there as well. Um, we'd like to... Uh, uh, thank 52 Weeks of Horror, which is uh, Jeffrey Potts, writer and actor and puppet, and uh, Haley Joanna, the special effects artist. And uh, email mylawyer.com, who Margaret Clippos and uh, Ryan J. Tegnelia that uh, funded the film Puppet. And uh, yeah, thank you, DK Mag, for, uh, for supporting us uh, over the last three films. You're very much welcome, and it's a, always a pleasure. I always look forward to your films, and I follow you guys on uh, on Instagram. And when I saw the poster for Puppets, I was like, yeah, I, I can't wait to watch this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully the the next few will be just as good. Uh, we we have a few coming up that we'd like to to make. Uh, uh, another one written by Jeffrey Potts and uh, uh, special effects by Haley Joanna coming up in the future, and. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's on our plate that, you know, we, we generally don't talk about until it's done. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I keep it under wraps. Yeah, plenty um, of stuff in the pipeline, but uh, it'll, it'll get there eventually. Right, right. And you, you guys pretty much turn out the, the projects pretty rapidly. There's like a, a gap. I would say what six, seven months between each project. Uh, uh, even, less. even less. More uh, like uh, three, four. Because Tender uh, released last year, so we've done the three projects in the past 12 months. 
Yeah, in fact, uh, I think we just wrapped shooting Puppet on the anniversary of shooting. Uh, oh, yeah, it was right. It was right before the shooting of. Uh, yeah, it was almost a year between the the, the shooting of Puppet, the the shooting of Tender. They they released uh, almost to the day, a year apart. Wow, amazing, amazing! You guys uh, do a great job. I always, like I said, I always look forward to watching it. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. We we uh we definitely put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in in our projects. Uh, we uh we do all the post production work. Uh, we do the editing, the color correction, the sound design in some cases, poster design, PR. Yeah, all all of that, and then uh we're we're lucky to have uh, some guys like uh, Robert Old HC dude. Cortez come in and take photos of our, our sets so that we can, you know, put that stuff up on IMDb. And right, right. Put all those pictures and stuff uh, on our Instagram and Facebook and wherever else we are uh, at Not The Real Proco. That's, uh, that's us. That's, that's our handle on, on most things. <laughs> yeah, that, I was, uh, that's, I didn't write down that question. Who came up with the name of the company? <laughs> 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 well, we we both kind of did. Uh, we we initially just wanted to call it production company, but then we wanted to also abbreviate it to Proco. Yeah, uh, and and I think it was actually a friend of mine that uh, uh, said you should call it Proco, and uh, so Proco is short for production company. <laughs> That's as basic as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thought it was funny. <laughs> it, it is funny. It is it's very catchy. <laughs> well good then we did something right <laughs> Woo! yeah <laughs> okay uh gentlemen uh, thank you very much once again for your time and uh in conducting this interview it's always a pleasure thank you for having thank us you and there you have it ladies and gentlemen the very talented duo brian gerson and joseph r davis once again they're the directors of tender it's Lurking and Puppet, their latest release. Exclusive interview. Actor, Bill Mallison. On November 11, 2016, I had the pleasure to speak with actor Tom Allison. Mr. Allison is a very talented actor on stage and screen. He stars in 2008 repo the generic opera his role in this film was the gossip journalist yes Tom allison is well known for his roles as character pre in the sci-fi popular series killjoys pre is the owner and operator of a bar called dorajal pre was also a warlord and a criminal record having served time in prisons. Hi, I'm Enid Artus. I am the content contributor at DKMag.com. Great to meet you. I'm Tom. Nice to meet you. Thank you for joining me today, Mr. Allison. Oh, please call me Tom. Okay, not a problem, Tom. Since we are a horror sci-fi news source, my first set of questions will go into your, your role on Killjoys. So first of all, congratulations on the series. It's one of the sci-fi best TV shows. <laughs> Thank you very much. My first question is, first, how is a typical shoot day? Oh, uh, uh, it depends on sort of, you know, which role you're playing, obviously. Uh, for me, 
it's a lot of what my costume and makeup. Um, this pre's known for his his sort of wild and really fun makeup stuff. So so it's it's time in the makeup chair and uh, my costumes tend to be a little involved. So it's always about getting ready first and then um, getting to set and we'll rehearse the scene and then we'll rehearse it again for camera. So the, the crew will then come back in and they'll look at what we're doing and then they'll set up the shots. We go away, sort of sit around and yak a little bit. And then we come back and we'll shoot the scene. We'll shoot different angles and things. We'll change angles, but but uh, basically we'll shoot till we're done the scene and then move on. It mm. is said that actors embrace their roles. The character, what is it about? Pre, do you find a connection with? Uh, well, it's been fun because I got to really create Pre. I sort of combined the writer's ideas and what was on paper with with my own sensibility you know here and there but he's been a lot of fun it, he uh because he's got a certain amount of freedom in what he says what he does i really get to play a lot with um who he is his point of view the odd word you know how pre tends to use um uh little names for people honey sweetie sugar they'll often write in just honey and then i'll i'll add sweetie, sugar, honey pie, sweet cheeks. I sort of play with that sort of stuff. So there's some leeway in what I can do. Um, but uh, I certainly connect to his pre's sense of, of fun. That's awesome. And I could actually see that on the show itself. Oh, great. He's a good time. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, what is the most intriguing part of work on a sci-fi driven narrative? Such a killjoys. Well, I mean, what's wild is, of course, we have because it's a whole world that's been created unto itself. It's always fun to see what what uh, um, words or new ideas they come up with that aren't, you know, in our in our world of, you know, uh, uh, in our solar system, in our dimension. Uh, certainly, the drinks I serve can be fun. Uh, the wardrobe is interesting, uh, and I've actually had to speak several a couple of made up languages through the last two seasons. And that's been interesting getting the new language and going, Oh, okay. How does that fit in the mouth? We had sort of a very Germanic sounding language this season uh, with a lot of growling and throat things. And so it was fun to rehearse that. Uh, and then what's also been really great is our fans. I haven't done a sci-fi show before and I'd heard about how loyal sci-fi fans are and how dedicated to the detail, but that's been fascinating to me. Because if anything is out of place or or just something really good happens, the fans notice everything, every detail of costume or makeup or a look you give. Uh, and they're so devoted and they really speak about it. And they they will um, make up T-shirts with, with a saying on it. It's really fascinating. They, their dedication is so, it's so committed how they feel about the show. That's been very exciting and very new for me. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, Sci-fi has some very good shows lately. And, I, and I'm a witness because I have seen quite a, a lot of them. I'm sure. What are your favorites? Um, oh, wow. By now, I don't have any into mind. <laughs> <laughs> I know, caught you off guard. Yeah. <laughs> <A> surprise! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, you have many projects in the works. Most centers on stage and not on screen. 
Let's begin with two acts. Cabaret, Shut Up, It's Christmas. Share some insights on these projects. Oh, sure. I'd love to. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm soon doing a couple of... Uh, I created a show, sort of 2006. Uh, it was, uh, I was doing a cabaret of just an evening of all kinds of music. But part of that night, I had an idea. I wanted to do something Christmas-themed, but that was sort of different. And so I created this thing where I played Mrs. Claus and I tell the story of how her and Santa met and their courtship and their relationship, but told through her point of view. And it was such a big hit that I thought, huh, people kept saying, bring her back, bring her back as a bigger show. So um, over the last few years, I created this evening. It's a cabaret show where I play Mrs. Claus in the first act and then myself in the second act. So uh, in the first act, I don't sing any Christmas songs but Mrs. Claus is actually the Christmas link. So I tell stories of their life through musical theater songs and some, some standards. Uh, and it's really fun. It's become this sort of this big hit people ask for each year. And, and then the second act, I play myself and I, um, I sing Christmas songs and some of my Christmas favorites, tell funny stories, do some impersonations. But uh, the first act is all me dressed fully as Mrs. Claus. Um, and talking about how she used to be a showgirl and then she met Santa and they had this affair. Like it's, it's a little racy, kind of funny, kind of kooky, but then gets really tender and sweet too in, in terms of a real relationship and the ups and downs. And people really seem to get a kick out of it. It's really fun to do. Oh, it sounds like a lot of fun. Actually, we will be posting the performance schedule in our accompanying article. You are awesome. <laughs> Now, according to your Facebook page, you're working on Suzuko, in which you direct. Can you please share some details on this musical? Absolutely. Uh, it's called Suzuko the Musical, and it's based on Dr. Seuss stories. Uh, it was created, ye oh, God, I forget how long ago now, uh, Garth Drabinsky, uh, the producer, created it here in Toronto, and then went to Broadway and starred Rosie O'Donnell and all these great people. Um, and they've made a, a 75 minute uh, theater for young audience version. And that combines stories like Horton the Elephant and Gertrude McFuzz and Yertle the Turtle and, and the Who's. Uh, and uh, it's really sweet following the ups and downs of sort of Horton and his friends in the jungle. And um, I'm directing it. I'm in charge of the whole thing. I have a choreographer. We created this really beautiful version of the show. It's really fun. And uh, yeah, it's, it's short, sweet, but it, it, it's amazing because it's, it's a show that, I mean, not just, not just for kids. I mean, adults really can appreciate it. And at this point, with the world being what it is and things that have been happening in the last week or so, um, it's, its main message is a person is a, a person's a person no matter how small. It's what Horton keeps saying. And it's amazing. You can replace small with anything, with no matter how black, no matter how Asian, no matter how 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 big, or no matter how female. You know, whatever the adjective is, but the idea that that um, people's differences don't make them different; it just makes them interesting. Uh, and it's pretty wonderful. It's a very timely piece and a great message for kids. That is very good. You know, we, we always have to give messages to our kids. Absolutely. They're, hey, they're the future, right? They're giving us, they, they're bringing up the ideas that will shape the rest of uh, their lives and certainly the end of ours or the, the, different, the next half of ours. Yes, I agree. they the next generation. Absolutely.
Uh, you are very involved on social media and you have an active account on YouTube channel. How important it is to use these channels to connect with the masses? It's interesting. It's in the, only in the last few years that I've realized what you can actually achieve in terms of reaching out to people and, and connecting to people. And uh, it's been really cool being able to, to connect to fans directly. Like Twitter is amazing. I mean, you can actually send a message to someone, you know, some, someone that you're a fan of or that you enjoy or whatever, say a hello or a reach out and they can message you back. You can suddenly be connected to your favorite celebrities or people that you respect, whether it's sports personalities or, or um, movie actors or TV actors or, you know, whatever. Um, and you can, you can share the stories of how they've influenced you. They can message you back and encourage you. It's kind of exciting. So I've been exploring that idea uh, and, how, uh, and seeing how much it can mean to someone, just a response can can mean it can make someone's day or or help them i don't know whatever feel great or connected and i think it does a lot to to make the world feel smaller in a comforting way in the big picture people don't feel so isolated and that's that's kind of a wonderful thing uh, it's it's interesting and i love that you can sort of post things on youtube and i can post some performances on youtube and people who won't get to see me in person can have a little little look at some stuff i'm doing or I can I can share a piece that I really enjoy. It has a message. I can actually post it and spread it around, or I can spread an idea uh, of support, or or if something interesting that I find interesting, I can share my thoughts, and I can actually feel that I'm connected to other people who think the way that I do, or sometimes hear a different viewpoint. You know, and I love that if it's said with respect. I'm not ever into you know cruelty, meanness, or or calling someone down for their opinion. Not that I will always agree with them, but but it can start conversations, and I think that's really valuable that people can actually hear hear different points of view. In our research, we did stumble on your YouTube channel, and we actually saw the drag makeup video challenge. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we would love to see a challenge made in the horror makeup um effect. Like a zombie, perhaps. Oh, you know what? That's I never thought of that, but but let me see what I can do. Yeah, I've never tried that. I, I, I'm 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 an amateur makeup person, but I'm in theater. We have to do a lot of makeup, and I like makeup a lot. I played with it in terms of creating, you know, a different face or a heavier face, or uh, you know, being a woman, being a, 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 um, all kinds of stuff. So I love a little challenge. Let me I let me see if I can come up with something fun. Hey, you, you know, talking about you are premature, but you did pretty good on the drag makeup video. I've learned a lot of tricks. I've had to play a lady several times, like on film or on stage, you know, just a role requires something like that. Uh, I've, I've gotten several, you know, um, uh, transsexual roles or drag queen roles. And uh, they're fun because they're creative and interesting. And so, so I've learned tricks just because you want to get the job, right? Yes. Now, I have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. Aside from your role as pre in Killjoys and your wonderful stage performance, what else is in the horizon for you? Uh, I'm doing some, uh, I love this time of year. I, I often get asked uh, because of you know, my career and what it's been to, to be the guest performer at several charity events uh, through the season, the holiday season. So I'm actually singing 
at an event called Voices for Hope, and it's an AIDS benefit for Casey House, which is a uh, uh, an AIDS hospice here in um, an organization here in Toronto. I'll be singing on December first uh, for that. It's called Voices of Hope, and then I'm singing for another concert for Loft Services, which helps people who are homeless or elderly and or or, or street youth who have no place to go and need help. Uh, in a wonderful organization on December fifth, also here in Toronto. And then we go back into filming uh, Killjoys in the new year. Cool. Is there anything else you would like to share with the public? Oh, really just a big thank you, honestly. I mean, doing Killjoys and, and having the opportunity to sort of meet people and, and talk to people from all over the world has been really, really wonderful. And the support for the show has been great. I'm kind of I'm kind of bowled over and blown away by the support for Pre. I mean, you, know, you kind of go in as an actor going, oh, this will be fun and I'll do some stuff. But people's response to Pre has been so incredible and and kind of moving. I have to say, I'm, I'm really kind of touched. It's been, been really wonderful. So thank you to everyone who's been watching the show and been supporting the show, been supporting me and the character. It means a lot. And I and I notice all of it. I'm I don't take it for granted at all. That is very good, and we do love your character in Pre. You, oh, you could show that you're really into the character. You're oh, doing thanks. a great job, Mr. Um, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot. You're welcome. Well, if there's anything else you would like to share, I would like to extend the great thank you for this great interview. Um, you have a good day. Thanks a lot, you too, and thanks for, thanks for asking. Not a problem, Tom. Have a good one. Take care. Until I looked him up, I must say that I probably would say I didn't know Tom Allison. But when I did look him up, I'm like, oh, he looks very familiar. And did some research and saw he was on the repo of the genetic opera, which is probably the only movie I've seen with him. And I will say that that is a really excellent film. He is amazing in that film. I've heard of Killjoys, but I have not seen Killjoys, and I do plan on watching it. Yes, um, for our interview, uh, both Anita and I, we had to do a crash course because Killjoys was a sci-fi show that we had um, set aside to watch, but never watched, you know, we never got around to watch it. So this is a perfect opportunity to binge watch Killjoys. And let me tell you, it, it's, it's a very interesting uh, series. It has sci-fi, has action, it has drama too. So there's a lot of elements going on. And right now, uh, Killjoys is entering its third season on sci-fi. So they're doing something good. Uh, as we all know, one show in particular didn't even make it to season two. And, you know, so if they go into season three, they're doing, they're definitely doing something good. And Pre, the character, is a very, how can you describe this character, Pre? He's like a kind of a wild character, I could say. But wild in a comical way, right? Yeah, kind of, yeah. In a sarcastic way as well. Yes, the sarcastic part that really, uh, yeah, I can adapt to that. And he's a bartender and a criminal. He kicks ass. 
Yeah, he sure does. I mean, I when I did the interview with him, there was one specific question that he asked me. He asked me, "Hey, what are your favorite sci-fi shows?" For a second there, I was completely stuck because as when I'm doing an interview, I really like to focus and just doing the interview and nothing else around me. So, to answer Mr. Allison's question, yes, I do love sci-fi shows. One of my favorite ones is The Sea Nation. Um another one that I like is Continuum. Um I love Face Off, The Magicians, The Expanse, and you just name it. It's just a whole bunch of them. It's just that at that moment I was so focused in doing my interview that nothing came to mind at the moment. Yeah, he caught you off guard. I remember that. He sure did. <laughs> He's a very cool guy and He's very down to earth, very nice person. Yes, he is. And to all our listeners, stop by dkmag.com. Um we have a list of his show that he's now performing for the season uh, and you could catch the address and and the showings and the showings exactly stop by to our read our accompanying article for this podcast exclusive interview actor Todd Fennell on the 10th of November 2016 I spoke with Todd Fennell and many may not know of the the strains and the talent that goes into voice acting and motion capture acting uh this is a field that has grown exponentially over the past few years and that is the field of video games and for those who don't know video games the industry as a whole makes more money than Hollywood in a given year. We're talking about blockbuster budgets and the talent that goes into it is simply amazing. And actor Todd Fennell has starred in major blockbusters uh, equivalent in the video game industry. His latest uh, portrayal is in Tom Clancy's sci-fi thriller the division and in the division uh mr fennell portrays uh riker a riker is a criminal who escapes from riker's island the rikers are hardened criminals who revel in their crime and even threaten to plunge the city and claim it for themselves mr fennell also plays a lab tech and the lab tech's name is dr kendall and Todd Fennell also starred in a very major video game franchise and that is Assassin's Creed and Fennell has been a major part of this franchise um almost since the beginning we discussed Assassin's Creed and you know fan films are very popular with the community so one of the questions raised was if he would to star in a fan film since he's been an integral part of Assassin's Creed and you know tune in to see what his response is. And once again Todd Fennell is a motion capture 
actor. He is a voice uh, character for several video games. And most of these video games, he has a very deep relationship with Ubisoft Canada. And they release Assassin's Creed. They also release a lot of Tom Clancy's um, video games. And for all our listeners out there, Tom Clancy, who recently passed away, was the author of espionage thriller uh, novels. And soon these novels translated over to video games. And one of his uh, other franchises is Splinter Cell and Rainbow Six. Once again, thank you, Mr. Fresnel, for joining me in this interview. Uh, my name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com. Hey, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to interview me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to do this. <laughs> cool, great. Uh, I'm going to begin uh, the first uh, section of our my, my questions, and it's going to delve into your field working with Ubisoft in the field of video games. Okay, sounds good. Great. Uh, Of course, Tom Clancy's action sci-fi The Division released uh, this year. You serve as motion capture artist as the character Riker in this new video game release. How did you come on board on this project? Uh, Well, that's kind of a long story. Um, I have a relationship with Ubisoft uh, dating back to about, I think, 2006 or seven, um, when I worked on some of the original Rainbow Six uh, series. Um, And that was back when we were just doing voice. Um, We still weren't doing very much motion capture. Uh, And then I moved on to doing some Assassin's Creed, um, number three and... and, uh, well, actually started with Assassin's Creed 2 and Assassin's Creed 3. Um, and then I uh, I did a, actually a fitness game for Ubisoft in 2000, 2012 to 2013, uh, where there was a lot of motion capture. And that would, that's what got me into doing motion capture for them. Uh, so now I get to, I get to have a couple of days on most of the, most of the new games that they develop here in Montreal. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's how that happens. Wow! You see, I'm I'm a big Rainbow Six fan. I haven't played the latest release, but wow, a good. It's surprising you had mentioned you you have a rich history with Ubisoft. Yeah, my my favorite one was the uh, was Rainbow Six Vegas. Yes. Um, and uh, I played I played a lot of guards that died. So. <laughs> It would be like one my favorite line I, I always remember it was I was this one soldier that was uh guarding you know um one of the enemy's bases and it was like it was like oh aren't the aren't the Vegas lights pretty at night and then he gets he gets sniped he gets headshot like right away <laughs> <laughs> So yeah in those early games we would do tons of uh tons of different characters we would do like all the mis- miscellaneous voices and we would change up our voice, our accent, uh, to do several characters at once. I'm going to get to that topic uh, <clears throat> of uh, voice acting in one second. But uh, the story for The Division is much different. And you bring up Rainbow Six is more espionage-driven tales. 
What stood out with you in terms of the narrative for the division? Oh, the the, the post-apocalyptic, um, uh, you know, view of of society kind of completely crumbling, and having those people that were there, that are there, that would step up in in the face of adversity, and that would kind of come together as a team. Um, and to put the pieces back together uh, once society kind of falls apart. And I remember seeing the the trailer uh, for it. Like they, they would show us the trailer for the game before, before we would start shooting. And I remember getting goosebumps because it was in a situation like that, that's what would happen. There would be people that would want to take advantage of the chaos. There would be people that would thrive in the chaos. And there would be those who would come together and try to rebuild. Um, and uh, I don't know, I found that very, very appealing and uh, very important to, to make a game like that. Yeah, I agree. And especially with the, with the division, you see you don't have the zombies and the fictitious creatures. It's just humanity against humanity. And that's a, that's a threat right in itself. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I think those games are fun too, where you have, I mean, I, I love those games too, where the monster's external, but this is you're dealing with the, the human nature and, and the monsters inside people and, and fighting, fighting real people that would shoot, they have to make a choice in, in, in that type of situation. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. It's a, uh, it's tough to think about sometimes, but it's it's uh, it's important to make it yeah to make a game like that. Yes, it's a, it's a good learning tool as well. Uh, just like you point out, you, you have different factions and people who just want to do chaos and anarchy, and someone who wants to build society. I find it to be like a learning tool, but what not to lead into. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm curious. Um, how is motion capture and voice acting different than conventional acting? Meaning, what is the preparation process you have to go through? Uh, well, when you when you're doing conventional acting, you there's there's a ritual before you uh, perform, and that's you know you get to your trailer and you put your wardrobe on, and that helps you get into character. And then you do your hair and makeup, and that helps you get in character. Um, and uh, then you you block this. You get to the location, and that also helps you get into character because you're seeing uh, where, like you know, where you're going to shoot. Uh, but with motion capture, there's none of that. You there's no makeup, there's no outfit. There's it's all in your mind. So there is preparation in the sense instead of like putting on our our wardrobe, we'll we'll sit with um, the game developers or the directors and they'll show us what we're wearing. So we'll have images on the screen and we'll see what we're wearing. So then, okay, so that's like our wardrobe. Um, and then for makeup, we actually, uh, we, we do kind of, there's kind of the equivalent is when we get all those dots uh, drawn onto our face and we, we put the, um, we put the helmet cam on uh, that lets you know when, when that thing's on and the lights on that, that lets you know that, okay, you're like activated. Now you're the character. You're going to, you're going to be um, getting into character. 
Um, there's also like, there's a bit of an adjustment period when you're getting used to wearing that suit. Uh, cause the suit is, is black spandex and you've got sensors all over and you've got a battery pack in your back. You've got a microphone hooked up. So there's, there's a, a bit of an adjustment to making that look natural, you know, to, to walking around as if none of that stuff is on. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, there's that. And, um, I'm sorry, I'm digressing very much. What was the, uh, what the question was about preparation, how it, how it differs. Yeah. So meaning what is the preparation process? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of improv involved, correct? Uh, yeah, there is some improv and we can, what's cool too, is we can build the scenes around, like we can build the set around the scene because it's all in three dimensional space. So when you get to the location, I mean, we're in a, we're in a motion capture studio and there's, there's nothing really there. It's all empty. Um, so we decide on what we're going to do. Like if I'm going to jump over this car or I'm going to get thrown out of a, a, a helicopter or someone's ducking behind a dumpster, uh, we can decide where we want to put all that stuff and then build the set. So they come in with, um, you know, big blocks and they, they build fake staircases and put sensors on them so that we're acting in that space. Uh, so that's pretty cool because you're very free to to create any kind of space you want. And there's there's not always a cameraman either. So there's not a shot like a, a close up on you or a, and then we reverse. It's the entire the entire thing is being captured in 3D. So that's kind of cool because there's not coverage. There's just one big shot where everyone's full performance is being captured digitally. Um, and there's no lighting to worry about either. So it's a very, very, very different uh, environment. Wow. Yeah, that is a very different. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that type of environment filtering into feature films. Yeah, you know, we have the Disney and Pixar films, but the action-oriented film where all the actors are, are performing motion capture. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. It's, uh, and, and the technology gets better and better every day. I want to say year, but it's almost every time I go in, it's uh, it's way like the helmets get lighter, the lights get better, um, the cameras that they use to do motion capture are not as hard on the eyes. Like they have little LEDs in them, they get better and better. Uh, so yeah, it's it's um, you know, you, like the tech in a year will be obsolete, or they'll they'll be they'll have gotten even better with it. Um, exactly. I don't know if you want to get get in on this right away, but like you were saying, with with mocap, how it differs too is that you can play characters that you would not normally play uh, on camera. So, if I don't like, I can play a you know a six foot eight uh, giant enforcer uh, when I'm five eight, 170 pounds, right? I can uh, I can play guys that look nothing like me. Um, and then, and then knowing that I can modify my voice, modify my my actions, my behavior, even my walk, and then they can they can add the avatar later, and it and it's me playing that character that I never would never would play in a film or, or a television. Yes, that's true because you portrayed uh, Bernardo in uh, in Assassin's Creed, and he that's a totally different uh, parallel from your physical appearance <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> totally yeah 
And speaking about Assassin's Creed, how was that experience for you? You know, you practically existed most throughout most of the franchise. Yeah, that was amazing. That was really amazing. I didn't know when I did the second one, I didn't know how, well, I don't think anyone knew how much it would blow up, how huge those games were, were going to be. Uh, I mean, the first one had a lot of success and then the second one did too. And it just kept going and getting bigger and bigger. Um, but I really enjoyed my experience on all of them. Uh, on the third one, was the third one was the first time I actually got to wear the helmet um, and do the facial recognition and voice recognition at the same time. Uh, so that was a big step for me. And then to see my character moving, like, you know, his facial expressions moving as, as mine were, it was, it was cool. That was really, really awesome. And uh, you get to know the world a little bit too. That's um, very revolutionary ideas, Ubisoft, usually. Yeah, they're very revolutionary. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I played most of the uh, most of the titles off from Ubisoft. And, uh, most of them were Tom Clancy. I haven't played Assassin's Creed, I, I must confess, but most of them were Rainbow Six titles. Yeah, yeah. It's it's cool. It's uh, I, I'd recommend three, not just because I'm in it, but <laughs> I think it's one of my favorites. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, they're cool. And of course, the Assassin's Creed uh, film adaptation is coming up. Uh, given that fan films are popular among the gaming community, if this project uh, were to manifest, would you find yourself being a part of it? Yeah, I I hope so. Um, it depend, you know, it always depends on uh, on the casting and where they're shooting and and schedules and stuff like that. But yeah, it's something that I would love I would love to do, especially um, well, yeah, especially with the Assassin's Creed and the um, and the Division series. Uh, I like I like the fact that yeah, there's all kinds of uh, gray areas, you know, and they they explore very complex issues, but you still kind of you know who the good guys are in these games and um they're very noble very noble uh characters that they create so i think it'd be i think it translates to film very very well yes well we just have to wait to see uh the success rate from film from video games to film is is not so good but you know i'm keeping my hopes up for this one me too me too and i mean fastbender is a phenomenon like he's incredible so i'm sure it's going to be uh sure it's going to be good yes definitely and um you also uh served as voiceover for the 2000 release i am alive and 2011 you was in deuce x is it safe to say you have an interest in science fiction themes <laughs> yeah absolutely um i'm actually i can i can tell you now because it's it's uh announced and released but i'm in the new Deus Ex um, Human Revolution, uh, sorry, Mankind Divided as well. Um, but yeah, I have a huge interest and that's my dad. That's all my dad. Uh, we used to watch Star Trek, The Next Generation uh, all the time. And we used to watch, uh, he was a huge fan of B, B horror films uh, from the 60s and the 70s. And on the weekends, we would just watch B horror films and uh he was like we would go to the comic book store he used to read x he still reads x-men and all the uh the comics and stuff but yeah the science fiction i even remember one year when i was a kid he 
converted the entire house into different decks of the Enterprise. Uh, and I had like a, an Enter- a Star Trek Next Generation birthday party. Uh, so yeah, that, that was started at a very young age and I'm a huge, huge sci-fi fan. Uh, that, that's cool. Yeah. So you were a cosplayer at an early age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before it was cool. <laughs> before, yeah. Before it was cool. Yeah. And now delving into animation acting portion of your career, on the lighter side, uh, you have a sci-fi release earlier this year titled April and the Extraordinary World. Can you summarize your role as the character Julius and the overall plot of the film? Uh, yeah, that that's a very, again, a very interesting world. It's dystopian uh, in the sense that it's taking the world as it was when steam power, when we were running on steam power, and then assuming that all the scientists, for whatever reason, just started disappearing. They get kidnapped and they're, they're all being disappeared. They get kidnapped by this mysterious force. Uh, and then the world continues, but without scientific advancement. So it's kind of like in a steam, I don't want to say steampunk, but it's, it's kind of like, like that. Like the world's kind of um, moved in that direction. And the main character, uh, April, her parents uh, have gone missing and she's trying to find them. And they were, they were actually scientists that, that went missing. And so she's trying to find them and uh, she has trouble with um, the authorities and with the, the powers that be in this universe. And I'm, I'm hired by one of the uh, police detectives to try to find her. Um, but when I find her, uh, inevitably, um, he kind of falls for her. And then he, I don't want to give too much away, but he, uh, he has the internal struggle there. And uh, yeah. That sounds like a, uh, an, an actioneer is, uh, as opposed to a, a children's animation film. Yeah, the uh, just the art style. I don't know if you've seen some of it, but it's uh, it's really really cool. It's like a um, I don't even know how to how to describe it. It's a uh, it's a little darker, but. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, oh, sorry, I, I've drawn a blank here. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was very cool, though. Yeah, that's not a problem. Um, yeah, I mentioned it because April and the Extraordinary World. One would assume that it's a, a, you know, a regular Pixar film, but this is, this sounds very intriguing to what you have pointed out. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think, and it is, it is for kids. It's done in a very clever way that it, it addresses some. Um, some heavy issues and some, you know, um, looking at what the importance of science and, and, uh, technology and in the, in the creation of a, of a society, but it's, it's done in a, in a very fun, adventurous and oftentimes funny, um, funny way. So I've, I've seen it. I thought I was really, really happy with the, uh, the end product. I think it's great. And where can uh, audiences uh, get a hold of this film? I know for sure it's on iTunes. And uh, according to your press release, you star in the second season to A Stranger in My Home. I personally have not heard of this show, so 
from what I've from what I've read, this is an anthology series. So can you fill us in on what this series is about? Yeah, it's it's pretty dark. It's um it's the you know those murder investigation discovery channels, uh sorry shows where they it's a reenactment. So they're real crime cases, real real murders that have taken place. Um and so we we reenact the murders and the investigations that happened. So uh, there's a lot of going through the actual cases uh, that goes on. Um, and there's a, you, there's, you're, you're playing real people that sometimes are still alive. Uh, so uh, it's, it's heavy to, to do that kind of thing because when you know, when you do, when you do a TV show, it's, it's fiction. So you can kind of use that as a way to separate, you know, like that's fiction that, you know, and I'm just playing a role. And with this, there's, you have to just try a little, a little harder. It takes a little bit of extra effort to, to detach because it, you know, that it did happen. Like the things that you're, that you're doing in the scene, uh, they did happen in real life. So it's a little, I spoke to some of the directors on those shows and once they're able to detach, we, we can enjoy the creation process again, but it takes a little, takes an extra step there to to um to understand that yeah to remove yourself from from what happened and to say to say too that uh to understand it is important to tell these stories you know uh because uh you know i think shows like that are, are very important for people to understand like that this stuff does happen um yeah but it is once you can get past all that uh it's they're very challenging roles and it's very very rewarding when you can when you can uh when you can create something and, and tap into those emotions and uh and perform at that level it's fun yeah i myself i find myself watching but mostly from the paranormal realm that they discuss the the incidents that that have occurred but this sounds like real life crime stories Are these unsolved mysteries um no these ones these ones have been solved they 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 uh they presented in a way that you kind of go along with the 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 unknown as the as the detective uh did and as the police force didn't know and they kind of take you on the journey with them um and then you but you do you, you do find out at the end who did it and and why and and uh yeah very intriguing I gotta look into this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's reenact. It's reenactment. Uh, sometimes, you know, the first couple reenactment shows they did them without audio, so the narrator would be over you. But now they're starting to record more of the actual reenactment audio, so you, your your voice is captured in there too. It's fun. It's fun. Oh, cool, cool. And 2006 has featured a great many projects uh for you especially in action and sci-fi what's next on the calendar year for 2017 hmm well the that's the it's the beauty and uh and the scary part of acting is that a lot of times we don't know (laughs) (laughs) um i've been i've been on a roll there's been a lot of a lot of very interesting parts uh i there is one game that I'm doing for Ubisoft uh, that uh, I'm not allowed to, to say anything yet um, due to NDAs, but I can say that it's a game for Ubisoft. <laughs> um, 
and yeah, uh, I'm just auditioning and I do a lot of radio commercials and I do, uh, uh, a lot of television and, uh, TV commercials, uh, in the meantime. And I do some writing also on the side. I like to write, uh, sci-fi comedy and comedy. Um, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see what, what projects come to Montreal and I might be trying to, I might go down to Los Angeles in, uh, in February, uh, to audition down there for some things. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a, a big unknown right now. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, hopefully, you know, we'll see you and uh, in some upcoming sci-fi and post-apocalyptic scenarios again. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It, I'm, I'm drawn to them and they're drawn to me. So I think, uh, I think you will for sure. <laughs> the cool relationship. Yeah. And uh, I want to delve also in uh, some of your, your interests. <clears throat> you support organizations such as SETI. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think that's super important. <laughs> yes. So what is your opinion on man's place in the universe? You think we're alone? No. No, I don't think we're alone at all. Uh, it, 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 science's view of the universe is that it's infinite. Uh it's infinite or, or it's bigger than we can possibly imagine. And so that means that anything you can conceive of is probably out there somewhere, even if it's really, really far away. Uh, I know these are not scientific terms, but I'm just putting it in plain, plain English. Um, I think there's no way that we're the only life forms uh, in the universe. And I think that if we are for one, whatever one in a trillion chance, uh, then it's even more, we have an even bigger responsibility to get out there and explore the universe uh, being the only form of life. But I, I really don't think we are. I think there's, I think there's other, there's other intelligent life out there. Definitely. And uh, for, I'm just going to clarify for most listeners, SETI is a search for intelligent uh, life um, throughout the cosmos. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I think I think it's important that we, you know, a lot of people say we have to take care of our problems here on Earth, and we do, we do, but we we can't ignore our backyard, which is space. It, it's right there, and so I like to um, I like to draw the parallel where, like, if you were if you were ten people and you shipwrecked on a deserted island, and one person broke their leg. You wouldn't have nine people take care of the person with the broken leg. You'd have two people take care of the person with the broken leg. Someone else would make a fire. Someone else would look for food. Someone else would check the supplies. And then someone else would scout the perimeter. They would go and see how big this island is. And I think that's why space exploration is extremely important. We don't have to put all our resources into it, but we do have to put a significant amount of resources into the exploration of outer space, definitely. Yeah, I agree. And uh, that was a very uh, direct and interesting perspective that you put there with the, with the island. I also got to bring up Stephen Hawking. He also stated the dangers of looking for intelligent life, being that we could be uh, the Indians and the aliens could be 
the advanced civilizations like the Europeans, and we we see how that didn't turn out well for the Indians. Yeah, I I think that's pretty much the only the only thing Stephen Hawking's ever said that I disagree with, <laughs> because <laughs> I it that is a danger. I guess that is a danger. But if we look at if we're here on Earth. The only way we're going to be able to travel through space is if is through collaboration, and we we start to collaborate with each other and and get along. That's the only way a civilization gets to the point where it can, you know, move freely throughout the cosmos is if we all kind of get along a little better and stop destroying ourselves. I think the odds then that we run into a warlike species that's traveling through the universe, destroying everything, I think is pretty. I don't. I don't think that that's probable i think you you need to develop renewable sources of energy and the ability to work well with others in order to to travel through the universe and even if that is a danger that doesn't mean we should just stay put in our little bubble and not move outwards you know i think it's human nature to explore and to to want to get out there and and see what's beyond the next ridge beyond the next mountain you know that's part of our nature and if we if we stifle that nature too much uh, we, it's not going to be good for us. We, it's like animals in a cage. You know, we have to have free range and to explore. Yeah, definitely. And if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't have explored all these nations and be how we are today. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, on a final note, just delving into since we're talking about SETI. Um, Got to trek into UFO, ufology. Uh, what's your opinion? Do you think that's a fact or fiction? Do we have visitations? <laughs> that one I could say I have no idea. I, I don't know. It's fun to think that we have been visited. And I think that it's possible that we have been. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm just a human. I can't say for sure. But one of, my, one of my ideas with that is in support of the fact that it could have happened is if you had a, if you had a civilization that could move from star to star or from galaxy to galaxy, the technology necessary to do that would be so highly advanced that it would be, it would be possible for them to have visited and to hide all traces of them visiting. You know what I mean? So yeah, it, it, it could, it could be, it could be that they can just pop in and out. Um, but uh, I don't know. Don't know for sure. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> And uh, once again, thank you for this interview. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Right. And it's always fun to talk about stuff like this, you know? Like, I, I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> yes, yes. Me too. I'm, I'm big on UFOs and, you know, I, I trek lightly on, on uh, uh, SETI and what could be out there. The paranormal, of course, is I, I do horror in a horror magazine. So that's my hobby at the side. Yeah. And you know, like, I'm sure you've heard this argument, but like other dimensions and the paranormal and stuff, if you like x-rays existed before we could see them and Wi-Fi is there, but we can't see it unless we have a laptop open. There could be other dimensions that we don't see that we can't detect as yet with technology. So that makes it super interesting and, and, and open. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and those parallel, you know, even, you know, it's theoretical and science 
has proven that it is possible. So if the possibility is there, yeah, we, it, we may have some portals here on earth. We just, we haven't tapped into it yet. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, anytime you want to talk about stuff like this, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I'll, I'll get in touch uh, with you. <laughs> cool. Thanks, man. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for your time. And once again, my name is Ken Artuz, uh, founder and editor for DK Mag. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. I must say this is also my first time hearing about Todd Fennell uh, doing some research. I realized that, you know, he was a part of Assassin's Creed and I actually have one of the Assassin's Creed games. I still have yet to play it, <laughs> but I, uh, I have it on Xbox One. And reading about The Division by Tom Clancy, um, it definitely looks like a game that I would like to play. And I'm excited for Assassin's Creed becoming a, a film. Exclusive interview, actress Ashley Park. On the 11th of November, 2016, I interviewed Ashley Park. Miss Park is currently Miss Asia USA and she was Miss Korea USA this past year. Aside from her success in beauty pageants, Miss Park is now venturing into the world of acting and her latest release Rogue Warrior Robot Fighter is now making the circulation in film festivals. In fact, Rogue Warrior has won numerous awards. It features a female protagonist, a strong female lead. And in the film, Miss Park portrays the role of Rihanna. To tune in to DKMag.com, once the release uh, for Rogue Warrior is open, we'll be reviewing this film. Until then, um, have a listen to Ashley Park's interview in which we discuss her career, her rise in acting, and what is in the future for this young, talented actress. And I may note, during my research into Miss Park and her career in acting, I came across, because her name sounded so familiar, that I had to research it on YouTube and she actually portrayed the role of Chung Lee in Street Fighter High the Musical. Uh, this was released back in 2010. So I recognized the name and said, wait a second. Oh. And since then, Ashley Park has matured in acting. And as I stated, her latest release is Rogue Warrior Robot Fighter. Uh, my name is Ken Artsus, founder and editor for DKMag.com. Uh, thank you for extending your time uh, for this interview, Ms. Park. Of course, I'm happy to. Thank you. Thanks. And I'm going to start off with the 
with a pretty easy question. <laughs> It'll get difficult okay. along the way. <laughs> First, uh, you've worked on horror and sci-fi projects. Are uh, you a fan of the genre, and uh, which is your preferred one? Um, oh gosh, it's hard to say. They're both fun. They're both different. And I've done, I guess, one of each. So, um, well, between the two, huh, it really is hard to say. Maybe, maybe sci-fi in a way, just because I find it so fascinating. I think uh, horror, it kind of just depends. I, I tend to get really scared very easily. I do love to watch supernatural films, things like The Grudge and The Ring and things like that. They terrify me. I just have a pillow over my face the majority of the time, but um, I love to watch them. But I would say in terms of um, participating sci-fi, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's gritty. You get to actually go out to the desert sometimes and do really cool stuff. So, yeah, but I like both. Cool. Thank you. And uh, you are currently Miss Asia USA, and you were uh -huh. Miss Korea last year. Now you are uh -huh. making an impact as an actress. Can you best sum your experience thus far in the, your career? Well, it's been a really cool, a very, very cool experience. You know, coming out to L.A., it's always scary. I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas, so... You know, it's always going to be very uh, daunting in the very beginning. Uh, so I've, you know, experienced my share of hardships for sure. And it's been cool the last couple of years because I worked on quite a few projects as an actress last year. And then I was also Miss Korea USA. So I had, you know, my duties and rehearsals uh, leading up to the Miss Asia USA pageant. And then after winning Miss Asia USA, it's been very cool. It's very, very exciting to get to take on such a cool uh, role, kind of as a role model, and get to, you know, attend charity events and just talk to people and meet a lot of people. It's been kind of the coolest part, I think, of this entire experience, even as an actress, too, is the number of people you get to meet and network with, and um, it's, it's a very, very cool thing. So I've, I've been really enjoying my time, and um, I'm actually getting ready to pass on my crown in about a week to the next Miss Asia USA. So it's been, it's kind of a time of reflection for me, I think, you know, November and December, uh, just looking back on the last couple of years in my time, you know, in the pageant world and just getting to do what I love to do. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun and I'm very grateful. That's, that's a, that's a very uh, ambitious endeavor that uh, you've embarked on. And congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, you, you mentioned hardships in your comment just now. Are there any challenges faced so far in your acting career? Now, ask, especially with the stereotype roles that are still a problem in the industry. Um, let's see. I would say a lot of my struggle came from just being so lost in what I was supposed to do when I came out to Los Angeles. I didn't know anyone, so I feel like I kind of made, you know, a lot of rookie mistakes right from the start that set me back, and I'm sure a lot of people do the same, but 
um, it, it did take me a while to get used to LA life and the traffic and navigating and just learning how to navigate the industry. I think it's, it's a very tough thing for everyone. And just being, you know, kind of a small town girl from Arkansas, I was very, very lost. And, um, you know, there, there definitely have been struggles for me uh, being half Asian uh, just because the roles not, weren't as plentiful, you know, from the start. And luckily the tides are turning and we're, get, we're starting to see a lot more diversity on TV and in film. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. Yes, I agree with, with the latter. And, and it's, it's, it's about time. It's a women, Asian, and uh, Latinos. In general, minorities are uh, being more prevalent on stage and screen. Absolutely. It's, it's really nice to start to see that um, much more now. So I really, really love that. Great, great. And your latest role, you portray Rihanna in Rogue Warrior, Robot Fighter. Can you please share some uh-huh. insight on this character? Sure. Well, it's kind of hard to explain her. I always joke that she's kind of the spice that gets added to the film because Sienna, played by Tracy Birdsaw, uh, she's very straightforward. She's kick butt. You know, she's the warrior. And I feel like I sort of come in as a little bit of um, a challenger in a way uh, just to add a little spice and just make her life a little more difficult in kind of a a fun way, and so I hope I accomplished that in the film. And uh, it, it was it was a it was a lot of fun. We got to film out in the Salton Sea area for my scenes, and that was my first time to go out there. And it's quite barren. If if you haven't been to the Salton Sea area, I almost suggest going just to see what it's like. It's it's a very, very interesting place, and it was cool to get to film out there, and it really did feel like we were in a post-apocalyptic world. So I had a lot of fun, and I'm excited for people to see the film. Yes, yes. Um, it's it's very cool that the, the production actually went out to a, an actual location to provide this barren wasteland as opposed to doing it in Definitely. special effects. Yeah, this is wonderful. Sure Definitely, and I know they went out to many different places, including Australia, to film. So the production value is terrific in the film. And uh, what caught your attention to be a part of this production? How did you get involved? Well, I already knew Tracy. We were friends, and she asked me to audition for the role. I think I was the very first girl to audition for it, and they circled back around to me and decided to give me the role. So that was really cool, and I was very excited to take it on. When I read the script, I felt like I liked it because there was a real story there. It wasn't, you know, just things blowing up or, you know, just, um, you know, just action. It was actually a story with funny and emotional uh, moments in it, and I really enjoyed reading it. So I was excited to take it on. Yes, you're right, it's more than explosions. The story is very rich. As a matter of fact, it recently won big awards at the Malibu West International Film Awards. Yeah, it's it's been. I think it's been doing really well. I know that it won quite a few awards at the Action on Film Fest. Yes, and um, I I'm assume it'll probably win plenty more. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I'm eager to watch the film. I'm sure a lot of audiences are because the news keeps pouring in. It's some very good reviews. Definitely. Well, I'm glad, and I'm very excited for people to see it. I think they'll, I think they'll really enjoy it. Uh, Neil Johnson's the director. 
he did a terrific job, and the soundtrack is terrific, and it's it's a really well done film. And what surprises me, not really surprised me, but what really stands out for me is this, it's a female-driven film. It's like Mad Max, but with a female protagonist. Definitely, which is cool. You know, you don't you don't always see that, but Tracy does a wonderful job, and I think I think it's really great. I love seeing these female-focused, female-driven films. It's a it's a very cool thing. Precisely, and touching on that, um, from your initial role. Um, you started out as Chun Li in the Street Fighter High, and now you're in portraying Rihanna in Rogue Warrior, Robot Fighter. You've embraced tough female roles, characters throughout your career. Now, um, how important is it to you to represent strong women, especially in today's society? <laughs> That's so funny. You brought up Street Fighter High. That was so long ago. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I I love that. I think that. It's uh, it's a really cool thing to see uh, women step up and take these leading, you know, power women roles. I love it. I I think that's very much uh, my personality, uh, just to kind of take the reins for myself. And I've been an athlete my entire life, and so I've always been very, um, I guess, I've always leaned towards uh, female empowerment and just being very, very strong as a woman. So I love that. Great. And as a matter of fact, uh, when I initially got the uh, the green light to for this interview, um, I recognized the name and said, hey, I remember Chung Lee Street Fighter High <laughs> because I had watched it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, that was that was a while ago. I actually think that's the very first thing I ever did, um, ever. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really really funny. Those were um, this was kind of popular at the time. Yes, it was. It still is in the video game community. Mm, awesome! I'd love to hear that. That's really cool. <laughs> and um, how do you describe your your progress from your initial role to now? as an actress? Sure. It's been really fun to progress. I think that, you know, like I said in the beginning, you know, it was it was daunting and it was uh, just really trying to get uh, my feet on the ground, basically, and just you know, hit the ground running, I guess is the best way to put it. And, um, you know, there were plenty of stumbles, but it's gotten a lot more smooth for me uh, the past couple of years, just kind of getting to meet a lot of people and just kind of getting to know the industry better and kind of knowing where I am or where I'm kind of stand in it. So it's been it's been really, really nice and I'm really enjoying my time now. Great. Good to hear. And your acting career so far is diverse throughout many genres. Uh, for horror and sci-fi, you mentioned you only acted, uh, portrayed once. Um, what do you find most appealing or challenging in, in these genres, in these roles? Uh, in horror and sci-fi? Yes. Or just in everything? In okay, horror, horror and sci-fi. Yes. I would say with sci-fi, it's very cool because you're, let's say we're out in the desert, and the thing is, is you have to use your imagination for a lot of things. And I think that's what's really cool about sci-fi and horror is you really do have to use your imagination because, you know, you have to pretend there are robots 
flying all around you or that you might be talking to a robot and there's really nobody there. So it's, uh, it's really getting to tap into your imagination and go back to that childhood play, which is really fun. And the same thing goes for horror. You know, you have to sort of suspend reality and believe that that person is trying to kill you or that, you know, there's a ghost in the corner. <laughs> so it's, um, it's getting to go back to that, that play mode, which I think is fun, really, really fun. So it's safe to say that you have learned a lot of improvisation through your acting. Sure, definitely. Well, I, I think that, you know, it's great to go back to that, that play that we had as children anytime you take on a role, but uh, especially with sci-fi and horror, you really get to do that. And I, I actually really enjoy that aspect of it. And um, you've also served as executive producer to a horror short film, The Hazing, released in 2015. Can you share some insight on this project? <laughs> yeah, that was a small short film that I did for fun with some friends of mine, and we just thought it might be fun because I'd never done anything like that before. And we <laughs> it's really hard to say. We never released it. But yeah, we, um, well, actually, we kind of did. We, uh, now that I think about it, we screened it at the Chinese Theater in um, Hollywood. Uh, and so we did do one screening of it. But it was really just um, a fun short film that we literally just did for kicks. And it taught me a lot about um, producing. So it was, it was really fun to work on that. And it's funny you mention it because most of the time a fun project, it breaks out into something serious tone. Do you see yourself uh, becoming a producer or director to any genre in, in your near future? Uh, maybe not a director, but I do really actually enjoy producing a lot. It's something that I find to be really fun and challenging, very exciting. And uh, I like it because it requires so much structure and organization, and that's very much my personality. So uh, it's definitely something that I enjoy a lot. Great. Definitely looking forward to it to keep us posted. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I can do that. And... Um... In the next five, what is your projected goal as an actress and as a role model? I would say my goals would be to continue to do what I'm doing and to progress. Um, I have very much an athlete's mentality, I think, where I am rarely satisfied. I'm always looking to get better and to improve and uh, to be the best version of myself. So. I think I would really, really like to continue to progress, uh, doing exactly what I'm doing now, uh, just to grow and to get better. And I hope that I can inspire others to pursue their dreams and to um, to fight. I always use that word because I always like to hopefully think of myself as a fighter. Uh, just for being an athlete for over 12 years, that's a word that definitely res resonates with me. But um, I really hope to inspire people and to live my life with purpose and uh, hopefully be a role model for others. I really hope to do that. Great. That, that is very positive, especially when you mentioned athleticism and, and being a fighter, because now with the recent rise of women in, in combat sports, that's like uh, very prevalent now. Definitely. Definitely. 
And what is on the 2017 calendar for you in terms of projects and film? It's hard to say, actually. You know, I've been so incredibly busy this year. I'm currently in school, and I've had a lot of uh, a lot of things going on with Miss Asia USA this past year. So I'm actually really looking forward to relaxing over the holidays and just kind of recharging my batteries. I uh, recently did a TV show, uh, Rosewood, um, that'll be airing pretty soon. And then uh, I have a web series that's currently uh, on YouTube. That's basically a new episode comes out every Friday. So a new episode will be out today. It's The series is called Last Life, and I know they have a lot of plans with that. And then I did a web series with former Cheetah Girls, Keely Williams and Sabrina Bryan called Bad Sex with Good People, and that will be premiering soon on YouTube. I did a web series last year with them called March Moms that's already on YouTube. And then I am in, I'm currently slated to be in a film called Trapdoor, which is a sci-fi horror film. And then I worked on a couple of my own projects this year that um, I will be that will be in post-production for a while now. So I think, you know, next year will probably end up being very busy, but I'm just at the moment very excited to go home. Definitely. I wish you the best in, the, in your relaxing holiday season. <laughs> Thank you. You too. I appreciate that. You're welcome. And uh, you mentioned Last Life. Uh, what genre does this series delve into? It is Supernatural. It's a Supernatural series that... Um, it's witches, which is really fun. Uh, I actually really enjoyed this role because I it was actually quite a challenge for me because I have to play someone from France with a French accent, and I had to do my own stunts, like hand-to-hand combat and that kind of thing. So uh, it was quite an interesting role to take on, but it's very popular. It's got a great fan base, and it's... Uh, there's a new episode that comes out every Friday, I believe. I want to say episode six comes out today. It might be five, but I think it's six. And it's very exciting. Supernatural and witches. I got to look into that. That definitely catches my attention. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's, it's a really cool series. They they do such a great job. It's uh, Kathy DiStefano and Alicia Barnett, and they produce it direct it and write it so they're uh, definitely the embodiment of female empowerment um, for that uh, the female uh, empowerment is definitely one of my uh, focuses is uh, is through DK Mag provide focus on indie uh, and women empowerment definitely yeah it's it's a very cool series it stars also Robert Palmer Watkins from General Hospital and he's also with me in the series Bad Sex with Good People. He's starring in that as well. So it's fun. It's really fun. It's got such a great team on Last Life. They're a really, really great team. Great. I'm glad. I'll be looking forward to that. I'm going to watch it as, as a matter of fact <laughs> today. Awesome. Very excited. Yeah, they have season one. And my character uh, comes into the mix pretty much through season two. So... Uh, there's an entire season one that had a really huge following, and now season two is in session. Great, great. I look out for that. And, uh, awesome. Once again, uh, 
thank you for your time and uh, for this interview and wish you all the best in your career. And I hope uh, we could have another interview in the near future. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in yet to another episode for DKMag.com. This is Eneida Artus, content contributor. Stacey Cox, staff correspondent. And this is Ken Artus, founding editor for DKMag.com. We're across Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Google+, Pinterest, Instagram. iTunes iTunes. Thank you. Yes, you can find our podcast on iTunes. We made it. Yes, we did. And we're there for your downloading pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. Have a good one, everyone.